Thanks for being a part of the Fearless Army. Drop us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and when you do, ask me a question in the comments. Each week, we'll compile your best questions and answer them on air. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Wednesday. Thanks for joining me. Awesome show planned for you today. Uh, we're going to have to push uh, Tennessee Harmony back to Thursday. I I've got so much packed into today's show, I didn't want to give Tennessee Harmony short swift. So anyway, we got Steve Kim, we got Brett Farr, we're going to do some fun singing. We got Shamika Michelle uh, today. I'm going to unpack it a little differently. I'm going to start with the Firestarter. And then we'll go to Steve Kim and talk about one aspect of the Firestarter. Uh, then we'll do some fun slinging with Brett Favre, talk some football with Brett. Then we'll go back to the Firestarter with a conversation about Shamika Michelle, and we'll end the show that way. Uh, so buckle up, get ready, uh, get your fire-resistant wear on, because I'm going to try to start a big blaze, a big fire. Then we'll uh, bring Steve Kim on to start fanning these flames. Uh, there's little difference between Deja Meatball Blackwell and Colin Kaepernick. They're internet trolls, substanceless social media influencers adept at promoting chaos and outrage. Meatball is an overweight 20-something from Philadelphia. She gained 181,000 followers on Instagram with a body positivity message and comedy skits featuring herself selling cheap clothes while seated in dirty bath water. Two years ago, rapper Cardi B reposted one of Meatball's videos. Last night, Meatball encouraged her Philadelphia followers to meet her downtown. The group eventually looted a Lululemon, an Apple store, Foot Locker, and a liquor store. Meatball live streamed much of the action before getting arrested. Take a look for yourself. Yeah, that was Meatball at the end getting arrested. So now you know who Meatball is. 20-something, social media troll, wannabe comedian, degenerate. Colin Kaepernick, of course, is the former NFL quarterback. Seven years ago, he elevated his brand by kneeling during the national anthem before football games. In the process, Kaepernick became the most polarizing athlete in America. He also torched his football career while simultaneously becoming a cult figure to left-wing activists and Nike. Yesterday, Colin Kaepernick had rap music buddy, his rap music buddy, Jay Cole, release a letter that Kaepernick wrote to the New York Jets asking for a roster spot on their practice squad. Here's an excerpt. I would be honored and extremely grateful for the 
opportunity to come in and lead the practice squad. I would do this with the sole mission of getting your defense ready each week. If I were able to fill this role, I believe this allows for multiple things. Worst case scenario, you see what I have to offer and you're not that impressed. Best case scenario, you realize you have a real weapon at your disposal in the event you ever need to use it. In either of these scenarios, I would be committed to getting your defense ready week in and week out all season long. And I would wear that responsibility like a badge of honor. That's Colin Kaepernick begging for an NFL job. Meatball and Kaepernick are victims of a culture that rewards, promotes, enables, excuses, and justifies self-destructive behavior from black people. They're collateral damage from the circus clown show that I've been ranting about all week. The social media matrix baits celebrities, journalists, athletes, broadcasters, and influencers into creating content that outrages what used to be the establishment. For black influencers, the establishment is white evangelical conservatives. Black influencers have been convinced that anything that aggravates, annoys, or frustrates white conservatives is a net positive for black people. It's a ridiculous standard. It's a ridiculous strategy. But it's what compelled Kaepernick to foolishly kneel during the national anthem. His protest and support of Black Lives Matter did not save one black life. It accomplished the opposite. It demonized the profession of policing, sparked defund the police policies and sentiment, and subsequently made black neighborhoods more violent and crime-ridden. It also wrecked Kaepernick's football career. It should be obvious to everyone that Kaepernick regrets sabotaging his playing career. How else do you explain someone who hasn't played football in seven years begging the Jets to sign him to the practice squad? Kaepernick is 35. Two years ago, he released a documentary-style movie about his life and analogized the NFL to a slave plantation. Three years ago, he backed out of an organized workout in Atlanta and donned a Kunta Kente t-shirt. Kunta Kaepernick now wants a job back on Massa Goodell's plantation. Make it make sense. It only makes sense if you recognize and acknowledge that Kaepernick's original protest was devoid of substance and was driven by the social media stimulus that grants clout and relevance to black people who troll white evangelical conservatives. This same stimulus motivates young people such as Deja Blackwell to loot and produce immoral social media content. The left has defined Christianity as the white man's religion. They've demonized whiteness, which in their mind justifies the tearing down of Christianity. It's all a lie. The first Christians were ethnically Semitic and had light to dark brown skin. All humans, regardless of color, are made in the image of God. But I'm not gonna debate with you or argue with you about the history of Christianity. I, I wanna get back to Meatball and Kaepernick, but Meatball for a second here. 
and the looting that we saw last night in Philadelphia. Blackwell streamed much of the activity. She screamed in the camera, everybody gotta eat. Take a look for yourself. Must eat. Everybody must eat. Everybody must eat. Everybody. Everybody must eat. Yes. Everybody must eat. Everybody must eat. Everybody must eat. So, again, this week, I've been talking about the clown show and, and the circus that the clowns have created and, and, and this environment, this culture that we've created. And, and you're looking at an overweight black woman with an auntie mama head wrap around her head out in, on the streets of Philadelphia last night after she called everybody to gather there. She used her social media influence to call everyone, hey, let's meet downtown Philadelphia. And then the next thing you know, she's giving play-by-play -play as looting goes on. This is the circus and the clown show that we've created. And when I talk about us being in a clown world and the people and the things that we're justifying all in the name of so-called blackness, that there's a young woman with a significant-sized social media following Cardi B's reposting her and referencing her. She's a clown. This is the minstrel show. And we can get upset with her all we want, but she's taking her cues. She's taking her marching orders. She's reacting to the stimulus that all of corporate media is sending out to young black people. Join the circus. Put on a clown outfit. There are rewards for being buffoons and for recording and platforming your own individual minstrel show. You don't rob Lululemon because you're hungry. The looting we see nationwide has nothing to do with hunger pains. It's a reflection of people's animus towards a country they've been convinced must be torn down and remade. It is a form of protest. They're just protesting the wrong thing. The establishment that is truly in control is quite comfortable with black people and others protesting the wrong thing. They're fine with protesting white evangelical Christianity. What the ruling establishment won't tolerate is American citizens protesting the ruling establishment. The ruling establishment controls Congress, the Capitol, and the White House. Americans are strictly forbidden from protesting there. That's why everybody involved with January 6th is rotting in a dungeon. The message is clear. If you come and, and disturb the actual ruling establishment and where they work and where they operate and where they take their marching orders from the global elites, you will be punished and jailed and denied your fundamental rights and privileges. The ruling establishment constantly points black people to direct their frustration at whiteness and away from the wickedness of a secular society. Joe Biden routinely tells the public that white supremacy is the greatest threat to America. He's providing for cover for Satan who is colorless, 
Satan is a set of values and beliefs and actions that destroy the soul and the mind. Biden and the left are intentionally inspiring black people to destroy America and themselves. Colin Kaepernick and Deja Blackwell are useful illy idiots following instructions. That's my fire starter. It's a continuation of everything I've been talking about this week and may continue talking about the rest of the week and next week and the weeks after that. All of this, it's, it's all connected. I, I'm on Friday, we're gonna do a show that, that furthers the January 6th narrative. I, I got a guest, a journalist that's been doing frontline reporting on January 6th. And, and last Friday, you saw Sarah Maccabee and Nick Searcy in here talking about January 6th. And, and, and all, everything I'm talking about, the clown show, including Dion and Shannon Sharp and Travis Kelsey and Doja Cat and, and uh, Ice Spice and I can't, who's the other woman I was upset? Oh, Sexy Red. And now Deja Blackwell, Meatball, and Colin Kaepernick. These are all clowns in a circus. They're all useful idiots that the true ruling class is using to shield themselves. If they have you focused on, oh, we just gotta end whiteness, that will improve America. Meanwhile, you destroy yourself and destroy the country that is the safest, most prosperous, most opportunity-rich place on the planet for black people. You destroy that and then deal with us. Joe Biden, the left, the globalists. You deal with us and the rations that we give you. And you be mad at the people on January 6th that went and had the audacity to actually confront the ruling establishment elite. You be mad at them. Because when they came to confront Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham and all the, that was an attack on you, black people. You know, Congress, it's dominated by black people. When they came, when those white people came and disturbed the Capitol, that was an attack on you. That was white supremacy in action out to destroy all the black people in Congress. Are, are we really that stupid that we can't see we're being played? And I, Colin Kaepernick, is it not crystal clear that this man was played? The people that gassed him up yeah, Colin, stick it to the man, the national anthem. Yeah, keep kneeling. This man is 35, has no identity, no career, no job, and writing letters to the New York Jets, begging to be on their practice squad, and handing that letter to a rapper, J. Cole. Put this out. This man is clueless. This is Jethro Bodine. And we think he was some savior. We think he accomplished something. Show me what he accomplished other than granting you a feeling of like, oh man, we stuck it to the man. We upset white conservatives. That's how you get your rocks off. That's how you enjoy life. That's how you advance forward by 
upsetting white conservatives and making white liberals happy. That's your strategy. (laughs) It's this emotional energy and game plan that we have. It's all feminine. It's a game of checkers when the real game is chess. I mean, God, I know I sound sexist, but I'm, I apologize. But you ever had a woman that just pushes your buttons? Just does little things to push your buttons? To provoke you? Like, hey, th- this is a good strategy. That, that, that's what we're doing. We're acting like women. Hey, let's keep poking. And again, it, it, it's, it's a needy thing. Let's keep poking uh, Christians and America and, and, and alleged whiteness. Let's keep poking at that. Let's keep annoying that. That makes me feel good. I want to provoke something out of them. That's not a strategy. That's a recipe for destruction. Colin Kaepernick destroyed himself over some foolishness that in no way empowered or helped black people. Our neighborhoods are not more safe, they're actually more dangerous. We have illegal immigrants running into our country and running into our communities, running into our neighborhoods and taking jobs from us. Because y'all wanna focus in on, oh God, it's terrible, what happened with George Floyd and Michael Brown? And we gotta save them. And, and oh God, that's white supremacy. So, so that we ignore the actual real replacement of these illegal immigrants. As, and, and again, when you tie it all together with abortion and all, we've been 13% of the population for damn near 100 years. Or maybe we used to be 14% and we're down to 13%. Because we've been convinced killing our babies is what's good for us. And oh God, abortion, that that bothers white evangelical conservatives. So I'm pro-abortion. I'm pro-killing my own baby, my own seed, because that bothers white conservatives. We're, we're, We're looting stores. Now, they're not looting those stores to turn a profit, to feed babies, to do it. It's, it's a protest. Hey, we're not supposed to do it. This angers a certain element. White liberals sit on TV and act like we should do it and they celebrate us doing it. The only people upset about this are conservatives and we've been trained to hate conservatives. It's a clown show, man. It's a clown show. How how long are we going to play the role of clowns and think we're making progress? (laughs) Aunt your mama and mute Hamid Ali, Colin Kaepernick, who, who, (laughs) you think he wrote that letter? This man can barely talk. And that's, the people that, from John Fetterman to Joe Biden, to event, and when we get to Friday, I, when I started talking to you about Harry Dunn, the, the, the heroic, alleged Capitol Police officer, 
These are all mentally incapacitated, damaged people that they're using to destroy America, to turn it communist, to make it to, to make you not value your citizenship. They're using simple minded people, Kaepernick, meatball, clowns to distract you, to make you think, oh God, if Deion Sanders goes to a bowl game, black people are gonna be so much better off and we gotta support Dion and Shannon Sharp and Sexy Red and all, we gotta support it all because it's black. It's self, all of it is self-destructive. The, 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 the over-the-top arrogance is self-destructive. The, the debauchery and immorality of Sexy Red and that music is self-destructive. Colin Kaepernick torched his NFL career, has no plan for the rest of his life, and so he's still at 35 begging the NFL to let him back on the plantation he says he escaped from. That's our game plan. That's my uh, fire starter. We'll talk with Steve Kim about the Colin Kaepernick aspect of this. Uh, then we'll talk to Brett Favre. And then we'll talk to Shamika Michelle about the uh, meatball aspect of this. Uh, before I get to Shamika Michelle, I want to tell you guys about Samaritan Ministries. Tired of someone else telling you where to go? When you have a medical need, are you ready to take control of your health care? Samaritan Ministries could be the solution you're looking for. They connect hundreds of thousands of Christians across the nation who come together through prayer, encouragement, and financial support when a medical need arises. It's not insurance, and you're not limited by restrictive networks. Say you have a medical need, you don't have to check and see what hospital is in your network or be concerned about the doctor being in network two. No, you go to the hospital, you choose, and don't give a second thought as to what's in network and what's not because Samaritan Ministries, you're in control of your health care. Afterwards, fellow members pray for you and send money directly to you to help you pay your medical bills. And when they have a medical need, you'll do the same for them. That's what biblical health care sharing looks like. Check it out today at SamaritanMinistries.org slash fearless. All right, don't go anywhere. Steve Kim, The Korean Cosell, next. It's my obligation, no hate, discrimination, raising up your hands for freedom. Dion has been running out, and I'm talking about since February, when he held the team meeting and told, or January, whenever he went to Colorado and held the team meeting and told everybody, uh, hit the transfer portal. I'm bringing Louis Vuitton here. I, I, I want four and five star kids here. I want the best here. When Dion did that, that's the process of putting a target on your team's back. When Dion came out week one after beating TCU and saying, oh, I'm about to get comfortable up in here, and everybody's threatened and frustrated, a black coach leaving a, leading a locker room with 75% black players. Dion racialized this whole thing. 
and put a target on his team's back. Welcome back, uh, Steve Kim. Let me break some news to you. Uh, I have purchased a flight uh, to Los Angeles. That that. What? Now I didn't say I was coming. I said I purchased a flight. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the flight. The ticket's been bought. Okay. Uh, it's you know it's non-refundable. So I have every intention of catching the flight and being there, but I am unpredictable. And so mm. I, I, I'll just say that, but uh, there's a good chance I'll be there on Saturday uh, mm. eating barbecue with you and JB and watching football. The ticket's been bought, and it's not a cheap ticket. Uh, so, you know, that's the best I can do at this time, uh, Wednesday, uh, September 27th. Wow. Wow. Okay. All right. But don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's going to be a short in-and-out thing. Uh I know you're going on spirit. Don't worry about it. You don't even need a carry-on. So it's good. <laughs> I get into a fight like Canelo and Charlo. <laughs> It'll be the undercard. It'll be good. Sort of. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not. You will not catch me on Spirit Airlines. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I have bought a flight. Okay. Uh, mm. hopefully, I'll, hopefully I'll be there. Uh, anyway, I, I'm talking about Colin Kaepernick uh, today. And and he's written a letter to the New York Jets begging for a job, for a practice squad job. And and I think this is, there's already been plenty of proof, but this is the final proof that everyone sh- should see. Like, this guy did one of the dumbest things in the world, torching his NFL career, and he regrets it. No question about it. That's what this proves to me. You know, so he wrote a letter. Wasn't there a famous song from Eminem about an ob- obsessed individual that wrote a letter? So it's Colin Stan Pernick. I, I don't, I don't get this. I, I thought he had moved on. So let, let's go back. Let's rewind to 2016, which, if I recall correctly, was the last year that he was a professional football player. And he said, "Why are you?" He was asked, "Why are you taking a knee?" And he said, to protest police brutality and racial injustices in America. Now, on the surface, that is very admirable because we must always work to become a better country, even though we're the greatest country already. That's fine. So he plays his way or legislates his way out of the league through his own behavior and the fact that he really wasn't worth the hassle. But he got a lot of financial and corporate support. And so you'd figure, get this, he could move on to the next stage of his life of being a serious activist, right? So he doesn't need to do the frivolity of playing football because as much as we enjoy it as a country, the obsession that we have over both college and NFL, it it is frivolous. We're, We're not saving any lives. We're not curing cancer. But Colin Kaepernick has placed himself as this great orator, this great leader of our time. Why does he want to still play football? Because maybe from the very beginning, this was never serious. And the fact that he is now writing a letter begging his way on to be a professional football player 
Meanwhile, there are there is still civil unrest. I would assume there's still cases of police brutality, rampant crime. Uh, certain communities uh, aren't any better. But yet he wants to play football. What happened to all the causes? What, what happened to the bigger picture of Colin Kaepernick being this martyr? The other thing I want to point out, all these hypocrites in the media and the general public that said, we are kneeling and standing with Kaepernick. Don't know if you can do both, but that was a symbolism. So we're not going to watch the NFL. We're not going to support this product until he gets his place. Guess what? Looking at the television ratings, nobody did that either. The hypocrisy of these people that raise the fist, again, Colin Kaepernick, much like his supporters, are not serious people. And the thing about his supporters they're not going to admit that they were wrong. The people that fed Colin gas the entire time, you're doing the right thing, you're getting screwed over, blah, blah. And now here this guy is seven years later at 35. This guy doesn't know what to do. Yeah. You know, someone else would, hey, I'm, I'm now working as a financial planner, I, I've started my own charity, that I'm, I run this foundation, Baba. He, he, you know, he seems to not have any purpose in life. That's why he's willing to be a backup quarterback on the practice squad. He just wants something to do. And I, I, I feel sorry for Kaepernick. I feel sorry for him that, because that, if he had been, and this is my contention from day one, if the media, had properly rebuked him in 2016, I think Colin Kaepernick would still be in the NFL, be a backup quarterback, uh, but, but I think he would still be in the NFL. If he had been properly rebuked in real time, he would have moved on and just continued his playing career, but instead he's locked into this deal and nothing improved. No one got anything out of this other than handful of journalists got to garner uh, Twitter followers off of pretending to be this pro-black social justice warrior, but communities aren't safer. There's not less death. There's, you know, nothing really, police brutality, whatever. And so I just, the I think the people that gassed him up are more responsible than even Colin Kaepernick, because if he had been properly criticized, he would have punted and still be playing football, in my opinion. You, you know, Jason, he's like the one-man BLM. Think about all the protesting and the statements, the incendiary comments that they made and all the gestures, right? But as we look at the impact of Colin Kaepernick as an individual and the BLM, and you go to every affected community that they supposedly care about. There's not one STEM program. There are no computer labs. They haven't even put up a basketball hoop for a community center. If there was actually a nationwide chain of Colin Kaepernick youth centers, I would say, you know what? At least you've done that. At least you put a shovel into the ground and help fund places where young people can have any type of refuge for two, three hours. He's done none of it. All of that money has gone basically to the largesse of one person himself, the endorsement deals that he got, the grants that he got, the photo shoots that made it, made him out to be some sort of revolutionary. And but when it's all said and done, 
every time that there is a vacancy in terms of a roster spot, what's the first thing he goes back to doing? Trying to play football. And so that's why I, I've always thought that Colin Kaepernick, you know, I, I found it interesting. People will tell you that Colin Kaepernick at least bought, at least he brought um, a word to it. Like he exposed exposure to it. Awareness. Like well, awareness. That's the word. That's the buzzword everyone uses when everyone brings a problem to the table. Meanwhile, Larry Elder, it's not enough for him to bring awareness. He's getting grilled by a bunch of dishonest people because he's talking about single fatherhood or lack of parents in the community. Well, how come Larry Elder just can't bring awareness? Right. Um, well, maybe it's because he's running for office. But then I would argue, yeah, at least he's running for office so he can at least do more than just bring awareness. That's where this whole conversation was dishonest. And in fact, I, I, I sense now the last couple of years, even the black NFL players, they're sick of the charade because a couple of them have actually spoken out, said it's over. It's over. They would like to move on. And I, I've always felt that most football players, when they get out to the field of play, their mental mindset is to go to battle. They're not out there to be social justice warriors. They have to go through this charade that if they don't take a knee, especially if they're black, well, then now you're selling out. You're a coon. You're, you don't really care. And they're like, you know what? Here's the thing. I'm doing my job. Maybe you ought to get back to yours. Here's what Kaepernick's legacy is or what he accomplished. In the back of the end zone, on one end, it says, in racism, and on the other end zone, maybe it says it takes all of us or whatever. But those two slogans, at the, that's what he accomplished. That's his lasting legacy. We've, got, we've gone three or four years now within racism uh, in the back of the end zones. And, and that's really George Floyd, but uh, Kaepernick laid the groundwork for that. And so was it really worth it that there's... The NFL has em embraced some sloganeering, and and who's the guy? Malcolm Jenkins and Anquan Bolden. Uh, they got a hundred million dollars to run around and act like they know how to fix criminal justice. Is is that that's your legacy? And there, at the time that all this Kaepernick stuff was going down, everybody kept saying he's on the right side of history. He's on the right side of history. Is he on the right side of history seven years later? Is, his, is history judging him well? Jason, I have a question about that $100 million that was extorted from the NFL owners. Can we do an audit of that money and see exactly where that money went and what impact it made? Just think about this, going back to Colin Stanpernick. Um, so someone comes up to him. Colin, we still got issues. <laughs> What are we doing in 2023? We still got A, B, C, and D to fix and white supremacy. And Colin would just be like, well, I, I just wrote a letter to Woody Johnson in the New York Jets. I'm trying to get a roster spot. <laughs> Think about it. Because that there's nothing you what is a what is a foundation or a project that's, that even has his name on it that has any effectiveness right now? And I'm being I'm not trying to be facetious, but I'm just literally asking a serious question as can be asked. Name me one thing he's doing in that realm that has his name on it, that is marching forward and that will be effective 5, 10, 15 years down the line to make a positive impact on the people that he claims to want to help. 
He, he's got, they would say, he's got a, I know, know your rights camp or whatever, where he mm-hmm. teaches kids, I think, how to resist police and, <laughs> and, and, and I, I mean, uh, I, I don't, it's I know your rights camp where, yeah. Chris Rock did a skit on his HBO program that did that same thing 23 <laughs> years ago. Okay, you ought to look it up. It's pretty funny. Profane, but it was actually oh, very effective. Yeah, exactly. Oh, uh, I, I've seen so the other part of this that I didn't go into in my fire starter initially, but I think the same enablers that talked Kaepernick and, and excused everything Kaepernick was doing, they're doing it all over again with Deion Sanders and, and, and trying to keep Deion above criticism. Seriously, there's all the caping up for Deion Sanders and, oh, he must be protected and anybody that says anything – uh, negative about Dion, they're racist or they're sellouts. It, it's the same people that that think that shielding black public figures from any criticism is the key to making them successful, and and that's just not the key. It's just it's stupid. Well, again, the standards and expectations that you set for somebody. Or something is what you think of them. Okay, I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, you know, I will give Dion credit for this. At least he's doing a job. He has never actually said, I'm a social justice warrior. Uh, I am not an activist. Be honest. And, and, you know, he's actually being a father to his kids, trying to impact the lives of younger black men. So, But he's never actually said, uh, I'm more than just an athlete. Remember that phrase? Uh, what happened to that, by the way? Uh, I'm more than just this or that. No, 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 no. He's a football coach. It's what he's doing every day. I actually think his endeavor is much more honest than anything Colin Kaepernick has done since 2016. There, there's, there's no question, but Steve, I'm going to throw your own words and philosophy back up in your face. The reason I'm critical of Dion is because I actually have high expectations for Dion. Okay. I actually think he's capable of, of even more than what he's giving. And I think he's capable of setting a standard of leadership and evolution and growth that he's not meeting. This guy continues, now, now it's a point to show up in all press conferences wearing these sunglasses that he's hawking and selling and turning a profit off of. He, to see a 56-year-old grown man that's refusing to look anybody in the eyes while acting as the head coach of a football team, he's leading a hundred other men. And, and the, 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 someone sent me a tweet saying, Richard Petty, he, the king, he always wore sunglasses. No, come on, man. You talking about a race car driver? Who, who he ain't, he's leading a car around. He ain't trying to lead other people around. Oh, hold on. <laughs> so wait a minute. So now it became, what about Richard Petty? Okay, well, at least it's yes. different than what yes. far. Yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah. And so it, it's just, I just have, I think Dion could do more, and that's why I've been critical. But we just don't have that mindset of, of criticism and correction, any of it that we hear. It's like, oh, God, we just got to love everybody and affirm everything. And, and if, if they're not met with enough love, how could they have success? Miss me with all of that. It, it's, it's, 
you know, uh, lastly, I'll let you comment slightly if you want to. But again, I look at the events in Philadelphia last night. Yeah. And all the looting and all that. That's ca- that, 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 that's a byproduct of, oh, no, we don't correct young people. We, we don't criticize young people. We don't, all we do is affirm, 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 affirm. And that's what you get. Young people that uh, have no sort of discipline, no sort of self-respect or respect for other people's property. And young people that are running around feeling entitled and feeling like, let me go out and do something rebellious and, and criminal to, to show my dissatisfaction for a country that they clearly don't understand and don't have enough appreciation for. Yeah, there's a couple of thoughts that I have. Number one, uh, if these particular jurisdictions want to keep the same voting patterns, they will get the same results. And now I don't want to upset the uh, fine mayor of Chicago, Brandon Johnson, but that was a mob. And these mobs are allowed to do this because of the DAs they they elect, like let them go, Larry Krasner. Um, when, when you make law uh, illegal, you have lawlessness. This is what's going on. But to the further point, you can accuse me of being stereotypical or stereotyping, but I would I would guess that a lot of those young people in that mob probably came from fatherless or one parent homes. I think statistically you can make that assumption. So this is what happens. And I, I just find it amazing that there are certain pundits or media outlets, they are more upset at you, Jason, for pointing out that situation, that dynamic that exists like you did during that situation with the Scorpion crew in Memphis. Remember five, six months ago, you got everyone in a heat because you said, hey, this is what happens when you have fatherless uh, homes that are strewn throughout the community. Everyone got pissed off at you for saying it. Larry Elder now, he gets drilled or I think in a gotcha moment got caught up because they asked him, well, what are you doing about fatherlessness? Well, number one, he doesn't have a kid without a father. That's one thing he's doing. But I just find it interesting that people are more upset about you guys bringing up the issue and the impact of one parent homes, but not the rioting of looting that is caused in large part because there are no fathers in the home. There's something about that that is mind boggling to me. Well, the same people that have the energy for you and Larry Elder have the same energy for those activities and why it's caused. So those are my thoughts. Thank you, Steve. Uh, I've bought a ticket. There's a good chance okay. I'll be uh, watching some college football with you on Saturday okay. and enjoying uh, JB's cooking. Uh, we, we shall see. All right, I got to move on. I got to tell you guys, if you think you're smart about sports and you enjoy playing daily fantasy sports, I need you guys uh, to try out prize picks. Prize picks this football season. It's the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Prize picks is really simple to play. You can make your picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types are what make prize picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. My mom plays from Indianapolis. My mom sent me some of her prize picks she's selecting for tomorrow's Thursday night football game. You guys can 
compete against Mama Whitlock. She's got Jordan Love rushing for more than 16 and a half rushing yards. I like that. She's got, uh, who is this? Oh, Amon Ross St. Brown, the wide receiver with more than six and a half uh, receptions. She's got Jared Goff, more than one and a half passing TDs. Mm, kind of second guess her there, but she's been on a hot streak. Uh, she's got Jared Goff throwing two TD passes. We'll see. Price Picks now offers Apple Pay for quick and easy deposits into your account this football season. Go to prizepicks.com slash fearless. Use the promo code fearless for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash fearless. Use my promo code fearless. Get up to $100 uh, matching funds uh, when you're there. Prize picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Prizepicks.com slash fearless. All right, uh, you can also get your fearless army swag at shopblazemedia.com slash fearless. We'll have some fun with the fun slinger, Brett Favre next. This is a money thing. It's a radical materialist thing. And this has nothing, nothing to do with uplifting black people. This has everything to do with uplifting himself and other elites. Black elites love pretending. They're taking bold public stances for the betterment of the working class and poor black people. Oh my God, I'm just here for my people. I just saw George Floyd and uh, Breonna Taylor and Trayvon Martin and, and, and Ahmaud Arbery. I'm doing all of this for you. I'm taking these bullets for you. It's BS, absolute and utter BS. All right, let's roll out to Mississippi and uh, let the fun begin. The fun slinger, Brett Favre, join us as he does each and every Wednesday. Brett, I, I don't really know where to begin. There's so many things I want to run by you today, but I'm, I'm going to start with this weekend's biggest game, the Miami Dolphins uh, versus the Buffalo Bills for basically control of the AFC East and uh, just another interesting test for this Miami Dolphins offense and whether Josh Allen can compete, uh, can keep pace with Tua Tungvaola and the Miami offense. You, you, you have a favorite here? Who do you think, Miami or Buffalo, or you think Miami just keeps it rolling? Um, it's a good question. Uh, Miami is, I guess, reminds me a little bit of the greatest show on turf, except they're on grass. Um, in recent memory, I know the record is like 69 or something like that, 1969 scoring record. And, um, they're, they got it rolling right now. It'll be a huge test going to Buffalo, hostile environment, good 
really good football team they're playing. I, I don't know what to expect. Um, I doubt that they can be as prolific as they have been. That's not to say they wouldn't win. But my gut tells me that everyone expects fireworks, lots of points. You know, crazy offensive output by both teams. Rightfully so. But my gut tells me that it, it's going to be a 17-14 or something similar to, the, to that. I know it sounds crazy. I hope not. <laughs> well, they haven't disappointed yet, I, so. Yeah, I just can't see Tyreek Hill, Stephon Diggs, Jalen Waddle, and Josh Allen, and two. I can't see them. I, I, I do think this is going to be an amazing offensive shootout. I think Buffalo probably has a bit more to prove. You know, Miami's kind of the toast of the league right now. And, and, and Buffalo is still, I think, upset about week one and, and trying to right their ship. And so I, that makes me think Buffalo is going to win this game. Oh, I, I don't disagree with you. Um, you know, I think the, the country, the football country is divided probably. Half probably say Buffalo would win, half Miami. If you just go by the, the offensive production, you have to pick Miami. Um, you know, and, and you got to keep in mind, they did that last week without Waddle. So with Waddle, how much more dangerous are they? Um, I think it's, it, it will all come down to how much pressure is put on each quarterback. If, if Tua has time to throw, look out. But if they're, if they're like Cincinnati was getting after Matthew Stafford the other night, harassing every pass he completed some passes but it was it it was hasty decisions that's what needs to happen in this game uh for both defenses so miami scores 70 points and has a chance to set an nfl record of 73 if they just kick a field goal i think the nfl record is 72. To me, they had already embarrassed them scoring 70 points. I was shocked they didn't kick the field goal and, you know, set that NFL record. I, I don't think that would have been poor sportsmanship had they done that. Um, I think that there's probably mixed emotions across the country. Um, part of me says they should have stopped long before. Um, uh, and kind of what you said is, uh, um, if you've gone that far, might as well go ahead and, and kick it and go for the record, you know? So, uh, I don't know what the right answer is, but, uh, you know, you, if you put everybody in on the sidelines and you still scored, and I, I'm not saying they did that, but if you say, look, we get, we're down to the water boy. You know, and if he scores, I'm sorry. Uh, so I think it's it's mixed emotions about what they should have or did do. I want to play you this clip of Sean Payton talking about that loss and, and get your reaction. Let's listen to Sean Payton. You know, I, you know, we knew we were playing a real good offense, um, but but we got to look closely at what we were doing. And, you know, when someone – 
runs the ball up and down the field like those guys did and throw it up and down the field, you know, it's not acceptable. You know, we, we, we can't, um, well, we just got to get to the tape. It's only, Next question. It's only three weeks in, but is this kind of a crisis to see when you kind of uh, there's a, Listen, this, this season's full of those type of moments, you know, and this one obviously is difficult to be sitting here 0-3 talking to you guys. Um, there'll be more. I know that you said it's embarrassing, but this is kind of an historic game. I mean, I'm aware. Third time the team has scored 70 points over 700. What's the question? What's the question? I just finished telling you. Next question. <laughs> so you get humiliated like that, and I don't blame Sean Payton for having a short no. fuse, but Brett, do you remember the most humiliating game that or experience you had on the football field and what the team reaction is afterwards and, and kind of what do you expect for Denver this week and maybe the rest of the season? I think for me, the most humiliating game would have been, I think it was the year after we won the Super Bowl. So that would have been 97. We went and played Indianapolis uh, at their place. And I want to say they were 0-11, 0-12, something like that. And we were we were rolling again and eventually made it to the Super Bowl. But uh, – I, I just remember Mike Holmgren all week. I don't think we – I re, honestly, I really don't think we overlooked him because Mike was adamant week the whole week about don't let – don't overlook this team. Don't overlook this team. But we lost. Uh, and like I said, we eventually made the Super Bowl, but it could have been very costly. And we bounced back the, the following week, uh, fortunately. Got back on track pretty quickly. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah, I you bounced say, back I'm, and destroyed the Cowboys, 45-17 the following week. You lost 38-41 to a terrible Colts team. I just looked it up. But I'm sorry for cutting you off. Go ahead. No, no. I'm, I'm glad you looked it up. I didn't know who we played the following week, but I, I knew we, we had a good effort. Uh, sounds like a great effort. But, you know, with, in regards to Denver, I'm like you. I don't, I don't blame Sean Payton for a short fuse. Um, he's an offensive guy. Uh, I don't know who their defense coordinator is, but I don't know if it really mattered, to be honest with you. Uh, it was just one of those days that you – Sean's a great coach. I think he'll do really good things for that team. May not be this year, but it, but it will happen at some point soon. Brett, I watched that game and then – I watched the Chicago Bears against the Kansas City Chiefs, a couple of blowout games, and and part of me where my mind went was like, particularly with the Broncos and their defense, it's like, I don't think these guys are, are, they quit. I, I, I just don't think they're really putting in a legitimate effort here at this point, and and Chicago had the situation with their defensive coordinator midweek, and, and just kind of, and Justin Fields, his comments last week, just kind of created the impression to me like, I'm not sure if these guys care that much. And it made my mind go to how much money these guys make and, and how hard the game of football is 
when half the team is living on easy street and your, your best players are making millions upon millions of dollars. And, and in your era, guys got rich. But in this era, guys are like, wow, 40, 50, 20, 30 million dollars a year. Do you think that in any way undermines motivation? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I played, you know, 20 years. And fortunately, we, we either were in the playoffs or had a chance to the playoffs most of the time. But, you know, there were a couple seasons where it was pretty obvious early on that it, it was not going to go the way we had hoped. And in those moments, it's kind of when you find out who your leaders are and uh, who you can count on. When there's a whole lot, lot not to play for, I would see guys say, well, at least I got my check coming, uh, making similar remarks to that. Uh, and I, I think the first few times I was surprised, but after that, I, the human element, that side of it takes takes effect and you go, at least I'm getting paid. And the old saying, there's one foot in the parking lot. I, I would see guys with one foot in the parking lot more than I care to. And don't you, and again, I don't want either one of us or put you on the spot, particularly as a Hall of Fame player, like complaining about this generation. You don't want to sound like you're old and yeah. jealous, but I just think the level of money these guys make and how football is a game, I say it all the time, is best played by the desperate. That, that's why so many guys with tough luck backgrounds uh, are such excellent NFL players. And, and I just think as the more money pours into the game, I, I think the softer it invites the players to be. And that, that's not hating on these guys. It's just human nature. I think if Dick Buckus had played in this era and was making $25 million a year, I'm not sure if he would be Dick Buckus. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know the answer to that question, but I think that there's some truth to uh, and I, imagine being an owner or a GM and rolling the dice, putting a bunch of money, guaranteed money into a guy's pocket and uh, hoping and assuming that he was the guy that you paid and that he will carry that over to, you know, to the good side, I guess, is what you, you know, the good side, meaning plenty of money, nothing to worry about. Maybe not a whole lot of motivation, not as much as when you first came into the league. Uh, and you mentioned it, the guy who has nothing would do anything to have something. Will he maintain that after a big payday? Some do, some don't. Uh, and I think it's, a, it's like Russian roulette. You know, you, you roll a dice and hope, first of all, you hope a guy doesn't get hurt. That's it's something he can't control. But I think the fact that they're paying so much money and the fact that they've eliminated a lot of the practice, the physicalities in practice, uh, has made guys softer. Tackling is, is, is almost non-existent at times. Defenses 
are seems like way behind the offenses, and I think that's attributed to the lack of you know the physicality that uh, is required on defense. I want to talk a little bit about the New York Jets. They're off to a tough start. Obviously, they lost Aaron Rodgers. But this week, uh, Joe Namath made news, uh, you know, criticizing Zach Wilson. Let's, let's play that clip. You know what? No, I didn't take anything positive out of it yesterday. It was awful. Why? Why? Yeah. Were you watching? Yes. Was anyone watching? <laughs> I mean, please, when did you ever see a, a, well, well, it's Zach, we'll stay on Zach. You sit down? You sit down on the play, you go right down? What happens? I thought you're trying to win and make plays. You quit on a play? Mm-hmm. You What is going on? It, 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 it's disgusting. Well, and, and you brought up the coaching. How can a coach make things better for Zach? How can a coach say the locker room's together? How many teams have we been on? Are you telling me there aren't some cats on the defensive side saying, whoa, man, what's wrong with you? Yeah, there's not all harmony in the locker room. And if there is, they need to get rid of the people. You got to get people in there that are competitors and want to fight to win. These guys don't have to be in love with each other. And if, they, if they're saying they're in love with each other, they're BSing you. And you got to get rid of them, top to bottom. What would you, if you, if somebody handed you Zach Wilson and said, okay, Joe, make him better, what would you do? Send him to Kansas City to back up against somebody like Mahomes. Maybe he'd learn something. I wouldn't keep him. You know, I've seen enough of Zach Wilson. All right? I've seen enough. Has quick feet, can throw a little bit, but I don't believe what's going on up there. Mm. So, Joe Namath, New York Jets legend, won them their Super Bowl. Obviously, Brett Favre, Green Bay Packers legend. What's your philosophy on talking about the Packers, knowing how much weight your word carries? Uh, is is and I'm not. I don't want you to take a shot at Joe Namath or whatever. But could you see yourself being publicly critical of the Green Bay Packers as a retired legend to to the degree that to the degree that uh, Joe Namath is here talking about the Jets? I, well, I hope not. Uh, I just don't know what good that really does. And and Joe. Uh, I don't know Joe very well, but I know he is a legend. He's the face of the Jets. And, you know, he has the right to say whatever he wants. Um, I, 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 hope, I hope I wouldn't, if I'm in that situation at some point, I hope I answer with, with uh, caution. Um, sometimes you get caught and you, you're ready to just blab out everything. I hope that I'm not caught at that time. Uh, but again, I think the old saying, you, you catch a lot more bees with honey than vinegar. Um, I think it's so true. The other thing happening with the Jets and the NFL news cycle is 
Colin Kaepernick is writing letters to the New York Jets asking to join their practice squad. And I, I don't want to drag you into the Colin Kaepernick mess, but the guy's been out of the league for seven years. Can you imagine any quarterback or any player that can be out of football for seven years that has something to offer the NFL after a seven-year drought? I would say no, but I just don't know if it's ever been done or tried before. So I'm basing that off of, uh, you know, an assumption. Um, you know, Kaepernick probably is in great shape, probably in better shape than half of the quarter starting quarterbacks. Equally as talented, if not more talented than half the quarterbacks. But the the lack of playing time, the lack of experience, I would say no. But, you know, I'm not saying that they should or shouldn't take a chance at him. Uh, I, I just think the, the fear factor of it, he's been out of football for so long that uh, it, it's too too much to take a chance on. So, Brett, I, I grew up with and great friends with uh, Jeff George Steele and talented, talented quarterback. And he, he got exited from the league before his talents uh, ran know, out. were at a level where he couldn't play. Yeah. He, and, so, and I watched him struggle for because his talent was so immense. And he kept trying to get back into the league all the way up until maybe age 40, 41, uh, and so when you have that much talent as you and Jeff George and some of these guys have, w- w- even I would imagine when you even retired and left football, you probably still thought you could play. H- how hard is it to get past that belief because you've had so much success that, hey, I can still play? Yeah, I think a lot of guys do feel that way. I in particular uh, – my last year, my 20th year, I really got beat up more, more than any other year, uh, not even close. And not to mention I was 40 years old. So I knew it, it was clear to me my arm felt okay, I, you know, I, but I don't think I, was, I ever said I could still do it. Now, as far as throwing, yeah, but I knew that – the 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 joints were hurting. I was just beat up, and so it was. I mean, it was like neon lights flashing. It's time, and and I agreed. I think a guy like Jeff George left so much on the table early because I remember the Jeff George era. That guy was incredible uh, talent wise, and uh, I think sometimes. In a, with a guy like him and then a guy in the draft that I went uh, was drafted in, uh, Todd Marinovich, guys like that, and I can name many others. The expectation level is so high that it's almost impossible to reach those, not that you should or shouldn't base your whole career off of the expectations, but it's just hard to live up to it. And I think uh, – that's ultimately what got what got Jeff, but he had tremendous talent. He could throw it with anybody at any time. Brett, finally, on a much lighter note, uh, 
Travis Kelsey uh, is dating Taylor Swift. Uh, and that's, uh, I'm a Chiefs fan, all Kansas City's, all the buzz that the cheap star tight end is dating one of the, the, the biggest pop star going. Man, that seems like quite a distraction for Travis and potentially the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> Would you want the bird? You think it's a good bird? It's a great burden to have. It's Taylor Swift. But wow, what a burden that might be for the football team in terms of conversation and in terms of distraction for Travis Kelsey. Yeah, I think it's a it's a different distraction, obviously, but uh, you know, it's not a suspension or you know an arrest or anything like that. I think that they're they're conditioned by now to handle something like this. Andy obviously knows how to handle maybe not the this situation necessarily because he's it's it's kind of new, uh, really in the league. But uh, I think that they'll be fine. You know, they have enough success, uh, enough maturity that it, it'll be kind of cool, but I don't think it will affect their play at all. It's, it's funny you mentioned that it's kind of new for the league because NFL stars have been stars for a long time. But now they almost feel like they're even bigger and they're Hollywood type stars. And this is like uh, Burt Reynolds marrying Elizabeth Taylor or, or something like that. It's, yeah. it's like a Hollywood marriage, a Hollywood couple and, and football players that what, what they wear to games is part of the fashion show and part of the story. And, well, you and got draft. You got the draft uh, is, is a big spectacle. Uh, you know they're they're playing games in Europe, uh, regular season games in Europe. Uh, you know I mean so the the outreach is enormous, and I think that we're in we're in the age of social media, so everything's instantaneous. And you're right. What you wear to the what you drive, what you wear to the games is is critiqued top to bottom. Uh, it's a crazy time uh, to to be in the NFL. They they went from the ideal quarterback wearing Wrangler jeans to the ideal quarterback wearing a five thousand dollar suit or clothing or whatever. You think you would fit into this modern NFL? I wouldn't care. I'd still wear what I wanted to wear if they didn't like it. So be it. Uh, I was comfortable. With what, what, with how I dressed and what I drove to the to the game. So I, if they didn't like it, the heck with them. <laughs> Brett, thank you. Have You're a great welcome, rest Jason. of the week. We'll we'll see you. I believe next Tuesday, not yes. Wednesday next week. Right. Uh, enjoy enjoy your weekend. You too. Uh, we'll move on from from there. All right, uh, stick around. Jamika Michelle. I believe next. Previously on Fearless. 
on the sidelines, Lil Wayne, Key Glock, The Rock, uh, Master P, Offset, the whole rap community, the whole gangster rap community, that's who Dion front and centered for all of Boulder, Colorado. But this is a God thing. And I'm supposed to be good with it. I'm supposed to allow this man to sit up and package what he's doing as a God thing. And I'm just supposed to let it ride. He can wrap up God however he wants. He can attach it to all these secular uh, wannabe thugs. All of that debauchery, all of that foolishness, he can attach it to that and say, oh, this is a God thing. I'm doing this for God. Really. All right, welcome back. Let's roll out to North Carolina and let's return uh, to my fire starter. It's good to hear from Brett Farr, but I want to get back to my fire starter and the aspect of my fire starter that dealt with the events in Philadelphia last night with the looting and the social media influencer <laughs> meatball, kind of the uh, Lizzo of social media influencers. Uh, she's live streaming people looting and herself looting and her, her own arrest. And, and, and she, I just tied everything I've been talking about all week has been about this clown show that we've created. And, and I look at this young person and just say, she's joined the clown show, the minstrel show, and the, the, the foolish, purposeless rebellion that seems to have uh, captured all of these young people. And, and they're just doing silly stuff uh, because I guess they can and they can get away with it. I, I don't know. What, what, what do you think we're witnessing here with Meatball and, and some? I, I'm going to call for a couple other videos here in a, in a second, but what do you think we're witnessing here? There's so much, Jason. First of all, I think that was a great mono. Uh, thank you for it. Um, one of the things that I stand by is that the camera phone was one of the worst inventions for black people, not simply because it's allowing non-blacks to see how ignorant certain people can act, but it's also allowing people like myself to see how ignorant some black people can act. It, it, on a grand scale, because now, you know, I don't care who you are, liberal, pro-black, there is no way you're going to get me to come in alignment with these type of people simply because of my skin color. There is absolutely no way that I would ever align with a fat, greasy, ignorant a woman who calls herself meatball simply because I'm a black woman. So I think, you know, it has actually allowed us to see exactly what's going on in the community as much as people want to lie and act like there, there's nothing happening. There's nothing going on. We can see it. And, you know, I don't mind putting on my tinfoil hat. I wonder if it's an actual 
plan or like if the Democrats are actually bailing these people out of jail because nothing really happens to them. They do this. They cause all of this lawlessness, but then they get right out of jail. No, no real criminal record, no real repercussions for their actions. So for me, it seems like a real plan to actually keep this whole racial division going. Because of course, when people see this, white people see this, you see the little memes that say, it's them, it's always them. You know, and people are really sick of seeing it. And I do think a lot of it is just to, as you said, take a stand against who they think the enemies are. If they think conservatives are the enemy, they think that they're actually doing something to to piss conservatives off. A few weeks ago, Kamala Harris was at North Carolina A&T and there were pro-life protesters there, um, you know, during her speech. Well, the students at the university got upset with the pro-life protesters. They actually had their own signs that said F them kids and was calling the pro-life protesters, KKK members and black supremacists throwing drink on them. And I kept asking myself, what would make these black people think that someone wanting to save their baby is actually a white supremacist? Wouldn't a white supremacist be in agreement with you killing your little black kids? The fact that they're trying to save them, but yet these students were so against them shows just how ignorant we are and just how right you are about your, um, you know, thinking that they're doing it just because they feel like it irritates white people. You will applaud your own demise to get back at the white man. It shows how stupid we are in mass. And you're absolutely right. I wish people would stop saying, tell Jason to stop saying this and take a moment to listen because you give such a good, different perspective on things. And I really appreciate it because I've been asking myself this question at least since I saw those student protesters. It was so crazy to me. Well, today what we'll hear and what you know, we'll be in the comments and in the chat. You know, it's like, okay, they did that in Philadelphia, but what about January 6th? This is what, what they constantly go to. And, and to some degree, I get it. J January 6th was a hot mess, but it was one day. Do you know how many days we could count of the looting and rioting that we've seen the smashing grabs and all of that that we see on a nonstop loop and people are seeing on a nonstop loop, it just doesn't care. It's every day of the week. I guess every day but January the 6th, you can basically find one of these videos uh, or, or it's, it's, at least it feels that way. And <clears throat> I, I just, I feel sympathy for the kids and the young people because I do believe it's it's a complicated issue in terms of the lack of fathers in the homes and in these communities and, and kids running wild because of that. But also I, there's just been this programming that, you know, do something rebellious, do something that frustrates 
Christians or conservatives. And that's how you prove how black you are. And that's how you advance the cause of blackness. And it's it's I'm I'm telling we've and this whole live streaming of of I, I think about the, the I think it's the two young boys in Las Vegas that ran over a sheriff that was riding his bike, off-duty sheriff. He wasn't in uniform. He's out riding his bike. And I believe these young boys filmed themselves basically running him over. They didn't know they were going to kill him, but they ended up killing him. They taped it. And, and, and yeah, who does this? And, 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 and why? It's, 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 do, do we have, and I don't know if I want to, I'd like to just show that video while we're talking and we don't have to lean into it, but I, I thought we had uh, that video of, and, and these, I can't remember if, if the, how the seriousness of the charges that have been put up against these young boys. And, and the other one I connected to is uh, the pregnant woman who was fussing with the police back and forth and and ended up she had robbed or shoplifted from some liquor store they stopped her she wouldn't get out of the car she ends up trying to drive the car off and drives it at a, a, a police officer and he ends up shooting and killing her and she's pregnant and, and i think about like what's going on in her mind and i think about it seems like that we as black people have been programmed to think, let's have conflict with white people. Let's have conflict, particularly with white men. Let's be disagreeable and, and argue with them. That's a positive. We're, we're different than previous generations that complied and went along. We're willing to stand up and argue and fuss with the police. How is this a positive? I, I just, I just resisting arrest and arguing with the police. How is this a positive? And I just think about we've just been programmed to think that conflict with white people is a that's a positive that that shows how black you are. Exactly. It's a mass psychosis because I just can't understand why someone would actually film themselves doing crime. It makes absolutely no sense, Jason. And when you just think about the way our kids are behaving now, you know, a lot of people say, oh, it's the video games or it's the music. And yes, those are problems. But I also think we have to admit that we are failing to parent our kids. Most of us in my generation, we grew up on uh, Nightmare on Elm Street or Friday the 13th or all the Halloween movies. But not once did I ever want to put a mask on and get a butcher knife and go out and kill you know, kill people like I wouldn't have any type of repercussions from that because I had a parent in the home that was actually parenting me, that was taking the time to teach me between right and wrong, that was taking the time to give me life lessons. Not only that, I was involved in community programs. I was involved in the church. So I had a sense of morality and values that these kids don't have. And so when you're 
sitting in front of a video game and your little person, you know, dies and comes right back, or you're listening to this music that is constantly telling you to go and kill someone who looks like you, but you have no parent who is taking the time to actually rear you and guide you. It's, I can see why they are so out of sorts or out of whack and have no real sense of reality and the trouble that could come from that. We are, you know, parents are failing. And so many times they don't want to take the responsibility. We see that our kids are not reading on grade level. I saw that this young black teacher, this black male came out with a video over the weekend or last week where he was saying that his seventh grade students were reading on a fourth grade reading level. Some of them were on first grade reading levels. The responses that I saw from black people were, oh, he wouldn't be doing this video if he were teaching white kids. That's not the point. The problem is our kids are reading below grade level and someone has to take responsibility of that. And it should start with the parents. Why don't parents know that their kids are failing in school, that they can't read, that they can't do math, that they're out at all times of the night looting and causing trouble. Why don't parents know this? Because so many parents are wrapped up in themselves trying to get clicks on social media or go viral. We are not parenting our kids the way we should or the way we used to. And until black people stop trying to point the finger at the white man, it's only going to get worse because the white man don't have his foot on our necks. We're not parenting the necks that we are responsible for. I, this is an uncomfortable conversation that I think we as black people are going to have to have. And it, as it ran through my mind, uh, it made me think of Jesse Jackson in the 1980s. And Jesse Jackson in the 1980s uh, got in trouble for uh, saying there is nothing more painful to me at this stage in my life than to walk down the street and hear footsteps, then turn around and see somebody white and feel relieved. He got in trouble for saying that in the 1980s. And so, and, and you know, it was big controversial and, and black people scolded him for that. And, and uh, but I'm just thinking like, this has been an issue since the 1980s that we know is true and relevant. And, and we talk about it amongst ourselves, but we are completely ignoring it. And, and, and the uncomfortable conversation we have to have right now is that there's a black racism problem in America that we have legalized anti-white racism among black people, and we don't want to talk about it. And, and we want to point to this thing and that thing, and January 6th, and Donald Trump said there's good people on both sides, and, and all this other stuff. But, but the level of anti-white racism, and, and the attitude, and the superiority, and the entitlement, it's like we have switched places with the white bigots. That, that we have become the adopted the mindset of the KKK and feel like we're special, we're entitled, and we 
we need to bicker and mistreat and fuss and fight with white people and put them in their place. And, and I'm just sorry, it has to be addressed because it's out of control. Does that mean there is no white racism in this country? No, it doesn't mean that. But, but what it does mean, at least the country knows that that's a negative. We don't even seem to be willing to acknowledge that black racism towards white people is an actual negative. We need to have this conversation because our racism towards white people, this sense of entitlement is driving us off a cliff. We're destroying ourselves. Colin Kaepernick destroyed his football career. Whoever this meatball woman is, she's destroying her life. The, 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 this, the, the pregnant woman is fussing and fighting with the white police officers and end up getting, she destroyed her life. George Floyd, high, fussing and fighting with the police, put himself in harm's way. We have to talk about this, that, that fussing and arguing with white people does not, is, is not a way to show your blackness and, 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 and avoiding fussing and fighting with them is not being a sellout, is not being a coward. It, it, it's, it's about just being a respectful human being who doesn't, I don't have time to fuss and fight with people. I, that takes up energy. I, I just, it's a conversation that we gotta have that we don't wanna have. All, mm -hmm. we, we wanna sit around and pretend like it's 1955. It's not 1955, it's 2023. And it, it, it's not a good look for us right now. Absolutely. And first of all, I love that picture of Jesse Jackson. Our hair was similar today. Um, but I can agree with what he's saying. I was at the Capitol January 6th. And Jason, I will say that at no time did I feel unsafe. You know, I know that we had a few people that went in and they did whatever they did, pulling off name tags, whatever. But uh, for the most part, that was a really safe environment. I never felt like somebody was gonna hang me with a noose or set me on fire or burn a cross at my feet. I never felt that way. But I can tell you, you know that I'm looking for a place to stay. One of the places that I, that I was looking, brand new construction, my kid's father said no, simply because in close vicinity is a housing project. And he said the little black, kids, the young black kids over there are terrorizing those new neighborhoods. Not once did he say, oh, you might have to worry about a white supremacist in that area. It's the black kids that are terrorizing every city, especially Democrat controlled cities. And you're right. Arguing with white people is not how you show your blackness. For me, to, to show appreciation or to show that, you know, I'm black and I'm proud or whatever is to show the values that my mother instilled in me, the values that my grandmother and the way that my family expects me to behave. They didn't put time and energy into me for me to be out here doing this foolishness. And I can tell you, if my kids who I have spent at least 27 years years 
putting my time and energy and effort into were to go out here and behave the way these kids are behaving. Like my mama used to tell me, I would stick my foot so far up their ass we could walk home together. There is no way that my kids would show me, oh my, I'm black by acting out. And so Again, it's the conversation that we got to have and we got to stop lying as black people like we don't see it. We all see it. We all see the blood and we can smell the pus oozing from what we like to call the black community. I love when Roy said earlier, there is no real black community because we don't have any shared values and things that we're actually trying to achieve together. They we don't have that. And until we start telling the truth, we're going to just keep going around the same tree and looking stupid. I'm glad you referenced January 6th and the fact that you were there and, and the feeling that you had, because I, I, I think there's going to be additional stories coming out about January 6th that I think are going to blow people's mind. We've got a guest coming up on Friday, Steve Baker. He's a reporter. He's been all over this story from the outset. And, and I've read some of his previous stories. And, and I don't know, if th th there's a whistleblower now, a guy named T Tarek Johnson, that was a uh, lieutenant on the Capitol Police there, black dude, who was assisted in trying to help and save uh, Capitol Police officers, he was assisted by white oath keepers. And, and, and <laughs> stories that I've read about what actually transpired on January 6th and how white oath keepers actually tried to help the, the Harry Dunn, the big six foot seven light skinned black dude that the Joe Biden and the media all love because he said everybody taunted him with the N word and blah, blah, blah. I've read the actual reports where black people actually assisted and tried to protect this man and helped, I mean, white people, tried, white oath keepers tried to help assist and protect this man. It's the way we have been brainwashed into thinking about the MAGA crowd and all that because they don't play our music or, or, and they live in communities where we don't live. We think they're our enemies. And, and I've just had, living here in Nashville and in the South now, and, and you know, meeting and dealing with MAGA people all the time, that's just not the experience. And, and getting to know people that were on, at their January 6th between yourself and Bryson Gray and, and Nick Searcy who was there and Sarah Maccabee who was last week, her husband's now in jail and talking to Steve Baker. We don't know who our allies truly are and our allies are actually Christian evangelicals. That's who our real allies are. We've been in this psyop brainwash deal, we've been trained. They're our enemies, and and anything they do uh, affects us. And so, if they say, "Hey, don't kill your baby," oh my God, they don't want me to kill my baby. They're my enemy. <laughs> they say, "Hey, uh, they say, hey, uh, pull your pants up and talk with some respect." How dare you tell me to pull my pants up and talk with respect? How, how dare you? You know, you're my enemy. Anybody that t if Jason Whitlock says, 
hey man, take them sunglasses off Dion and tone down the, the arrogance or whatever. That's not me trying to be Dion's enemy. That's me like, hey man, if you want to do something sustainable that will work over the long haul, but it, it's like it's illegal to give us good advice. Mm. It, it's amazing how they've rigged the society that the biggest crime you can commit is giving black people sound advice that will work for them over the long haul. <laughs> but I'm the bad guy. Right. I'm, I'm the bad guy. It's Shamika, uh, thank you so much. Uh, thank you. We'll see you uh, later this week. Great job. Uh, we'll play some tomorrow, and we'll see you tomorrow.